Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So interesting past two weeks we have seen in markets uh, in the energy industry overall. The big narrative here is the broad stock market now is seeing yields rise on the 10-year treasury, causing a rotation out of high-flying tech stocks and into more cyclical plays like banks and energy energy companies. This fits with the common theme that I have been discussing quite thoroughly here on the show of seeing resurgent oil and gas demand rolling out of COVID. I do hope that we slowly rotate into this, uh, I guess, play, you could call it, and don't see the 10-year yield keep on climbing, which would bring quite a bit of uncertainty onto markets, including the oil market. So the biggest geopolitical factor here continues to remain OPEC and its decisions and how they affect the broad oil market. So I have been talking extensively about OPEC's production cuts and its effects on the price of oil in prior episodes. And the more oil they withhold from the market, OPEC and its member countries, the higher the price of oil should go considering less supply with the same demand. Kind of Econ 101 there. Um, On their recent announcement uh, this past week, OPEC was not going to change their cuts for April, causing WTI, the main uh, gauge of crude here in the U.S., to jump 5%. It was widely expected that the Saudis were going to roll back at least a portion of their additional 1 million uh, barrel per day cut because it was only supposed to last during the months of February and March. And as we're rolling into February, or sorry, April, you know, in about half a month, uh, this will be interesting. This was a logical conclusion to expect them to roll it back, not only because they, it was only supposed to be through February and March, but we have seen um, the oil market stabilize. We've seen rig counts in the U.S. continue to rise on the back of appreciating oil prices and general confidence surrounding oil demand returning. Um, post-COVID. The Saudi oil minister uh, did say to not try and predict the unpredictable. So he warned us (laughs) as he was referring to speculation that they were going to roll back uh, those additional cuts. The only changes coming out of the OPEC meeting were for Russia and Kazakhstan to moderately increase output by 130,000 and 20,000 barrels per day, respectively. Uh, The Saudi energy minister is encouraging a wait-and-see mode. He used a light-at-the-end-of-the-tunnel analogy um, to be sure we are confidently coming out of the pandemic and we'll see a more broad stabilization in demand and oil prices. With this in mind, a consensus is forming, and I remember the consensus was wrong last time, so, excuse me, um, that the consensus is that OPEC will begin rolling back these cuts in the second and third quarters of 2021, as we sort of see that increased demand, um, so we'll kind of see that story play out over the rest of this year. So, since that announcement, the oil market has settled down um, with WTI sitting around a $66 per barrel range compared to the Brent International gauge of oil settling around $69 per barrel. Um, we are entering into this period of a transition to post-COVID. Um, I believe that oil prices will react differently and might seem a bit confused at times. There seems to be a new report or article every single day 
about demand recovering or vaccine inoculation speeding up. And then you hear the opposite story the next day, where some question how much demand will return as a result of permanently changed consumption patterns, or maybe we're seeing slower vaccine rollouts. Um, the one uh, certainty uh, with news is that there is a lot of uncertainty um, and it can be very confusing and often lead to not really knowing what's real and what might be skewed. I, for one, was surprised that when OPEC announced uh, that they weren't going to change their cuts besides that minor Ru- uh, Russia and Kazakhstan stuff, that the oil price actually rallied. In my mind at the time, I imagined that them doing that would signal uncertainty about the future, but when it did did signal is confidence about where things are heading. Um, we also saw rig counts decline by one here in the U.S. for the week ending March 12, 2021. This is still down by 390 from the same year ago period, and this one rig count decrease isn't necessarily a big deal, but we have seen uh, steady increases over the past few weeks, so this one surprised me. Um, but oil prices did not react to this as the focus seems to be more remained um, on what OPEC is doing and saying. There was also a commercial crude inventory build of 13.8 million barrels here in the U.S. for the week ended March 5th, 2021. This absolutely crushed uh, analyst expectations and reflects uh, 6% above the five-year average for commercial crude inventories here in the U.S. We did see gasoline inventories decline quite substantially, substantially. so this represented more, more of a net effect uh, on the market of inventories. Uh, it will be interesting to see if inventories continue to build up or decline as the oil market is stabilizing after the freeze a couple of weeks ago. Over the past, say, few months, inventories have sort of steadily been declining, but we have seen upticks here and there, so I'm wondering if this might be one of those cases where it's, you know, maybe right now this is happening, but we'll see rolling forward. Lastly here, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but as I always say, returning to normal remains the most important aspect of the oil price market story at the moment. So enough of oil price talk. I don't have a crystal ball here. So (laughs) Um, I read an interesting article yesterday on oilprice.com titled, quote, cooking oil could fuel your next flight, end quote. I will drop this article's link in the show notes for you to check out. The writer of this article's name is Irina Slavs, a very talented um, writer over at oilprice.com. So no matter where you sit, On the whole ESG discussion, it's no longer possible to ignore its impacts in all parts of the market, and especially the oil market. Um, You can't you can't open up you know the Wall Street Journal and see something that isn't related to a shift or energy transition or something along that narrative. Um, The big thing um, that's been driving things has been a push to decarbonize activities that we normally use hydrocarbons or oil products and oil for. So it should come as no surprise that cooking oil waste is being tested for flights to decarbonize them. This article states that Sustainable Aviation Fuels, SAFs for short, so if I ever refer to SAFs for the rest of this this, uh, show, it means Sustainable Aviation Fuels. Um, These SAFs can reduce the aviation industry's carbon footprint by up to 34%. Um, 
to that 2050 time period that's kind of been the consensus on where decarbonizing things should be heading. Cooking oil is one feedstock used for SAFs, and some others include, quote, animal fats, plant oil, solid waste from households and businesses, including things like paper and packaging, and even food waste, end quote. The idea here is to reduce emissions while lowering the amount of waste in landfills. It's important to remember that this isn't an unlimited fuel source, and many limitations still still surround that supply of SAFs, or sustainable aviation fuels. Regardless, though, an estimated 45 airlines have tried their hand at SAFs, and they remain quite expensive to implement. This is a story where we'll need to see broad government support from basically all over the world to sort of even the playing field here. Um, for them to one day be in wide use, similar to the renewable story. The EU has led the charge here of pushing airlines to lower emissions, and uh, which represents a runway for growth, I would say, for SAFs in the future. It is important not to take the approach of forcing every uh, thing under the sun to get off of using oil, which could in turn hurt economic growth. And I would frankly suggests a more gradual approach uh, that will likely be more futile. But nonetheless, government support will remain pretty evident for SAFs to be in widespread use in the future. Um, I'm not sure when the day will be whenever you hop on a plane and it's <laughs> and it's using um, cooking oil to get you from here to the UK, um, but that'll be interesting to see. One big question here that I thought of is, will consumers be willing to pay more for their flights if it's carbon neutral? There's really no debate right now that a lot of that traditional oil and gas is typically cheaper as a fuel source than um, some renewables and especially uh, SAFs at the moment. So will you be willing to pay, say, $100 more, $50 more for your flight to just be sure that it is carbon neutral? So kind of a personal question there. Um, It's a big question for each person to answer, and it forces people to put their money uh, where their mouth is, frankly. Anyways, fantastic article by Irina Slav. I'll drop it in the show notes for you to check out. She 100% explains it better better than I ever really could. Um, That's all I have for this week's episode of the Energy Today podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week uh, and have a great week.